What's the best way to teach a board game? My name's Jonathan, and this is The Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about board games as they'd like to know. This week, we're starting a series on how to teach board games the snakes and lattes way, or at least how to teach them the Jonathan way. Welcome back to The Snakes Cast, everyone. Flying solo this week, no co-hosts. <sighs> I always miss having co-hosts. In any event, we're going to be talking about something that's been requested more than once for the show, and that is how best to teach board games. I've had a lot of practice doing it at the cafe, and I hope this will be useful to you. Now, the first thing you're going to have to do is pick which game to teach, and that's far more important than most people realize. You have to pick something that the players are going to be enthused by. If it's something that they're interested in, if it's something that they're invested in, Everything that you say to them, they're going to retain a lot better than they would otherwise. If your players are lukewarm on something, their attention's going to wander and the teach is going to be harder. You're going to have to repeat yourself. You're going to have to go through all kinds of difficulty to get there. So how do you pick the right game? Well, first you have to know your group. How many people have you got? If it's an even number of people, that'll work for team games. If it's an odd number of people, then it probably won't, because there's going to be an uneven number of players on each side. Voting games, by contrast, are better with an odd number. That way the votes don't get deadlocked. If you want to play a party game, you need a large number of people. If you want strategy games, you need a low-ish number. Once you get past five players in a strategy game, uh, well, the whole point of having a strategy is that you put together a plan, and it works, you hope. If you've got five or six other minds bouncing off against yours, five or six other plans bouncing off yours, the likelihood that it's actually going to pay off gets pretty slim. You also have to take into consideration how complicated a game your friends are willing to go in with you. Obviously, if you're dealing with expert players, then go nuts here. But if you're dealing with players who are relatively new to the hobby, you can really put them off by just throwing them in at the deep end, unless that's what they want, unless that's what they're after. So you really have to be careful to gauge their attitudes, gauge their impressions, make sure they know what they're getting into, and make sure that they're okay with that. The subject matter in a game can also be a huge deal. If you've got friends who are into military stuff, then a war game can definitely be a good pick. If you've got friends who are absolutely not into that stuff, I'd recommend avoiding war games. If you've got friends who like cutesy things and adorable stuff, then a game like Takenoko can be a really, really easy game to get started with because right away they see that cute panda and they're just into it. On the other hand, if you have friends who are not into that sort of thing, you want to avoid that. You know, do they like superheroes? Do they like history? Do they like drawing? Do they like samurai movies? Everybody's got stuff that they like, and subject matter can be a really easy way to bring people on board with something that might otherwise be outside their comfort zone in terms of complexity or in terms of how the game actually plays. The other big question you have to ask and make sure that you get a decent answer to is why do they play? To me, that's the single most important determining factor in the question of what kind of games somebody's going to like and what kinds of games they're not going to like. If you're playing with friends who really like to crush their opponent's faces with their fists, then make sure you're playing a game where there's lots of interaction, a game where they can actually do the stuff that they want to do. If you're playing a game with players who really love narrative and stories in their games, make sure you play something with them that's not going to be just an abstract puzzle to solve. If you're playing with people who are in it for a mental workout, don't play something that's too simple and too easy to get started with. Make sure you provide the kind of challenge that they're interested in. Now, everybody has their own reasons for playing games. I've done a whole website about this. It's at pickagame.com. Check it out if you're interested. But no web resource, no 
podcast can really substitute for the most important resource you have, which is your personal knowledge of your friends and your family, the people you're actually playing with. You know them better than any resource you could run across ever could. You've spent time with them. You understand what they like and what they don't like better than anyone. You pay attention to that. You take that into consideration. You make sure that their concerns are listened to. You make sure that their desires are catered to. And already, that's half the battle right there. They know that you care about them. They know that you're paying attention to them. That means they're going to pay attention to you in return. And that attention, that focus is the most important thing. No matter how good you are at teaching games, if people's minds are wandering, they're not going to be able to retain that information. So getting to that point where they're in it, they're invested, and they're entrusting you with this is half the battle right away. Okay, so you've got your game picked out, you've got your game group invested, they're into it, they're trusting you, and they're listening, and it's time to start. Here's the thing. Different people learn in different ways, and if you try to teach every group of people the same way, then you're going to run into problems. Some people want to know everything up front. They feel intimidated, incompetent, scared if they have to make a decision and they don't have complete information to base it on. Those types are rare. Usually people want to just start. They want to get started quickly. They don't want to listen to you blather on for ages about rules before they can start actually getting going and having some fun. So the thing to do is watch their faces during the explanation. Pay attention. And if their eyes are glazing over, okay, it might be time to sort of pick up the pace, get uh, to a point where we can actually demonstrate something very quickly. On the other hand, if people's brows are furrowing, if you seem to be moving a bit too quickly, they're going to look a little bit confused. They might even start asking questions. Be patient with that. Obviously, it can be kind of frustrating. People keep interrupting you with questions about stuff that you're going to be covering later. But impatience is not going to help anyone. Trust me on this one. Instead, if somebody comes up with something at an inopportune time, it's not a good time to answer and say, okay, I promise I'll answer all your questions somewhere towards the end. If I do this right, then you won't have any questions by the time I get there. You know, your questions are important to us. Please hold. Different games teach in different ways, too. And having practice with teaching a particular game does an awful lot to help you understand the pitfalls, the challenges, the difficult parts that you're going to have to get over when you're teaching it. There are two major tools that you can have as far as structuring a teach in such a way that it's going to make sense, it's going to be well-paced, uh, it's everything, things, one thing's going to follow logically from the, from the previous thing, and all of it will be put together in a way that people can grasp and understand. Those tools are order and emphasis. So order is what do you say first? And what do you say second and third and fourth? Now, all the information in a teach is important. If something's not important, then you're not even going to mention it. Here's the thing, though. Not all the information can be given equal emphasis. If you do, nothing's going to stand out, and it's going to make it a nightmare for people to try to retain it and put it into some sort of coherent shape. So you use emphasis to give particular attention to some parts of the rules, some parts of the game, over others. What you do is you pick out certain key elements, put a lot of focus on those, and those elements wind up forming a kind of scaffolding. You can drape the rest of the details around that. Once people have a sense of the overall shape of the game, once they've got the big tent poles, the rest of it actually is a lot easier to retain because they've got a context for it. They can see where it fits in in the larger picture, and that makes a huge difference, and that's where emphasis becomes such a useful tool for you when you're teaching games.
So let's take a look at some of these elements that you can emphasize and the order that you can give them over the course of an explanation and how that can be helpful. First of all, a lot of people will tell you that explaining how to win a game is a really good place to start. And in a lot of cases, it's true. If it's a fairly complicated game, something like Lords of Waterdeep, for example, then yes, you want to start there. You want to say, okay, this is the victory track. We're trying to score as many points as possible. Mostly we're going to do that by accomplishing quests. Sometimes, though, the theme of a game makes itself evident, and you don't need to worry about it. If you're playing something like... 1812, the invasion of Canada. Well, we've already got the board set up. We've got little armies on the board. We've got one side of the board that's red and one side that's blue. And we're clearly going to be moving armies around and fighting each other. So yes, we're supposed to fight the other players' armies and take over territory. If you actually go to the trouble of explaining that, that can even be distracting. You know, It's self-evident. The theme makes it easy. You don't need to worry about it. Sometimes, if a game is simple, you want to start there. When I'm teaching Corridor, for example, an abstract game, I'll, I'll lead right, lead right off with that. You know, all you have to do is get this piece to the other side. First player to get to the other side wins. Easy. But that's not necessarily the case in every game. I mean, uh, there's another simple game, Hey, That's My Fish, where you're moving penguins around and eating fish, and I don't bother explaining that to win, you have to eat more fish than the other player because eating more fish is clearly better than eating less fish because you're penguins, come on. You know, just explaining this takes up more space in people's brains, and that's just a distraction, ultimately. Some people will tell you that explaining a game's story, a game's narrative, is the best place to start, and it's pretty hard to go wrong with it in a lot of cases, unless the narrative's really, really obvious. Like, again, in Hey, That's My Fish, or in 1812, then talking about, okay, so in this game, we are paranormal investigators looking into unspeakable mysteries. That can help not only to give people a sense of place, a sense of the atmosphere of the game, it can sort of get them more invested in paying attention if the story is compelling to them. And it should be compelling to them if you did your job correctly and brought out a game that is well-suited to the group that you're teaching to. Explaining how to set up a game is probably something that you should never do, unless it's something where the setup is a huge part of the fun, something like Jenga, for example. That, you can get players to help you with it, and it works fine, but generally speaking, by the time they sit down to play, the game should already be set up. You don't want them to have to worry about any of that. So what's the story? How do you win? Those are excellent pillars to get started with an explanation in most cases. However, my favorite place to begin a teach, the first pillar that I often set out, is game flow. Game flow is an explanation of how a game starts, how the game state changes as you play, and how it ends. An overall structure of how this game fits together and what to expect over the course of play in really, really broad strokes. Few things will help people to get an overall sense of what's going on and where we're going with this as a really good, really well put together game flow explanation. Once people have a sense of the overall shape of the game, everything else makes so much more sense. And it is, again, those three parts. Where are we starting? How is this going to change over the course of play? And how are we going to end up? that gives you that overall sense of how it works. So in Splendor, for example, everything on the table that has a big white number in the top left corner is worth points. This is worth three points. That's worth five points. At first, you're only going to be able to afford to buy the not-so-good stuff on the top row that isn't even worth any points, but every card that you buy makes other cards cheaper, so you can start being able to afford the stuff in the middle row, and by the time you've bought one or two cards from the bottom row, you're at 15 points. That's game over. Right away, people have a sense of the structure of the game. We're starting off by buying the cheap stuff, working our way up to buying the more expensive stuff. Everything with a number on it is worth points, and we have a total of 15. You win. 
We don't yet have a sense of how you buy stuff, how you pay for stuff, how actions work, how the turn structure goes, but we do have an idea of how the game flows, and that makes everything else fit together so much more easily because people know where we're going and they know why we're going there. So is it better to explain how you win first, or is it better to explain the flow of the game first? Depends on the game. In something like 1812, I tend to save the victory condition, which is have more territories under your control on the opposite side of the border with stars on them until the Treaty of Ghent has been signed. Yeah, I know. Start off with that and watch the rise glaze over. It's not going to work too well for you. Cover the fighting stuff first. Then at the end, once they've got a sense of how that works, then they already understand most of the things that are in that explanation of how to win, and you have a lot less of an uphill battle to deal with. On the other hand, with something like Lords of Waterdeep, talking about getting the most points right away, make sure that they'll stay focused on that as the goal. Plus, it's a heck of a lot easier to explain get more points than sign the Treaty of Ghent with more territories with stars on it. If a, if a victory condition is more complicated, and if it's something that kind of requires more context from the rest of the game then you might want to save that towards a later part of the explanation. If it's a simple victory condition, that's a reason to put it right up front so people can have that in mind throughout all the rest of the explanation, and it keeps things clear and straightforward. But where do you go from there? How do you know which thing to do second, third, and fourth? How do you know which tent poles to emphasize as the major structural elements in your teach? And how do you know how much detail to give? How do you know when to just stop and start playing the game? Well, we're going to have to get into some of that next week. That's it for part one of our series on how to teach board games. We'll be coming back to you next week with a bit more emphasis on the question of how much to include in a teach and how much to leave out. In the meanwhile, if you're in Toronto this Wednesday the 23rd, the Royal Cinema on College Street is going to be hosting a premiere screening of the first two episodes of Snakes and Lattes, The Show. It's a cute little sitcom about a heavily fictionalized board game cafe. Refreshments run at 6.30, the show starts at 7, the episodes are only about 15 minutes long, there's going to be beer, and all proceeds go to charity. The rest of the series will be appearing on your friendly neighborhood internet on Sunday the 27th for free. We had so much fun making that show, I hope you'll enjoy it too. See you next time everyone. Game on. <laughs>